Hello friends, welcome to episode 233 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How about in, Rob? Uh, besides the fact that we were just making, we were just making clinking sounds with our teacups and laughing at it like schoolgirls, it was great. It was like, quick, quick, stir the tea, stir the tea, (laughs) get all the clinking noises out of the way, the intro's almost done. (laughs) You gotta have fun with these things at some point. Uh, so we had your game. Yeah! uh, This last weekend, which I thought went excellent. Um, I wanna, I I wanna make a couple comments on the show oh, that, right. that I think are uh, so to kind of express where I, I saw things at because I, I I took a very back seat when you when you first came in because you had said it was going to be very role play yeah yeah and it was it was very very role play yeah, I think we had heavy. Like two die rolls the entire something day or something like that. that and they were inconsequential stuff to begin yeah. with like um but uh it was we we had uh it was more of a plot wrap up than anything else. Yeah. Uh, and some exposition, some uh, character exposition, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which was great. Um, but one of the things that you, you did subtly, mm-hmm. but I think it was, it had a lot of impact, uh, was your use of music. Oh, yeah. I think that was really good. But one of the keys to making it successful was something that we had talked about last game. You you made a change to the table and physically made sure that certain players changed positions. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, you changed the dynamic of the game. Oh, yeah, I guess I didn't... I wasn't really paying attention. I was. Totally different dynamic with the players. Was it? Yeah. Huh. Totally okay. different dynamic with the players. Okay, okay. Um, And uh, uh, <laughs> in one way, it made uh, the one... It made the player who got closer to you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because there there was no distance. Sometimes you just need a little distance from the GM, and there's sure. no distance there. Sure. Uh, but also, at the same time, it allowed for... Uh, them to be able to hear exceptionally well, which brought up that level. Yes, yes. Um, which was great. Um, and then the player that swapped, who moved away, ended up reacting differently than they normally do to to situations, which so, I thought was really neat. So I, I don't, I don't think a lot of that was um, the table dynamic shifting. Um, I did, I did a couple things kind of behind the scenes. Okay. Um, but previous to this game, just to basically make sure that I, as a storyteller, was doing due diligence about my particular com- character's comfort levels or players' comfort levels. Um, so for you, there was a death of a spouse involved in this particular plot wrap up. Yes. Um, and being that I know that uh, you've had your own familial familial uh, uh, troubles, I, I've that I've had graces with. With disease and problems, exactly with my own spouse. So uh, I was like, "How how in depth am I allowed to get here within your comfort levels?" And you and I had a good dialogue on that. And yes. uh, I think your your a feedback number of was ago. your feedback. I believe was that, that that this this worked for you. Yeah. No. This was this worked very well for me. Good. 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 Um. So two of the other discussions I had was um. One of the players, um, I reached out to them and asked them if they were okay with a romance arc um, between them and an, and an NPC. Um, and, you know, obviously we would we would fade to black on anything beyond PG, you know, uh, beyond a kiss, basically. But yeah. uh, would it be okay if, um, if I initiated a scene like that and, you know... Uh, uh, they were they were very receptive to it and they thanked me for checking on their boundaries so that was good and then with uh with Sean um one of the uh, feedback i have gotten from him in the past is that he doesn't think on his feet very well 
and that he feels pressured during social situations mm-hmm. because he is playing a social character yeah. to think on his feet and be very witty and be very involved with the scene, but he as a player is incapable of keeping up with what his character should be able to do. Yeah. Um, and what he tends to do then when he feels pressured is looks at his character sheet and tries to find a mechanical solution to a problem that may or may not exist. You know, mm-hmm. what spell can I cast that will make me win the scene? Right. So that right. I can make it stop or I can at least come out on top of I it. I can control it. Exactly. Yes. Um, and so knowing that this was going to be a scene where I was uh, the, the, the NPC in question that, that we had this character exposition was this was his character's brother showing up and essentially berating him for doing what he did that, that made him into an adventurer. And And I have to say. I loved having the conversation with you months ago about that mm-hmm. of of like how to how to expose and just talking through that whole situation of like what would it be like like wh- what is it and then I just I kept asking questions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it hearing it come back out of you in such a clean way was like it was like a writer's room rewatch of the final ep- of that episode of discussion and going I like the way that turned out. Oh yeah, yeah, and and you know, Sean Sean had a lot of really great input about him, you know about that that as well and mm-hmm. whatnot. So yeah, yeah, it's been a really good collaborative effort to kind of make you know craft this character story and bring it to the Wait. bring it to the forefront. Collaborative storytelling. Collaborative storytelling. Go on. In my game, <laughs> it's on, more common on, than you think. On this podcast, in this economy, <laughs> I don't think so, Susan. Um, no, but uh, so so prior to this, um, I basically said like I I, I looked at what I had written down and I'm like. I can't ambush him with this. Mm-mm. Like I want I want to you know keep this a secret because I want it to happen organically mm-hmm. and I I would love to just put him off of his off his balance and and kind of like you did with me and ambush him with it. Yeah. But I can't. Like as yeah. a player, I know he's not going to deal with that well right. at all. Yep. And I want him to enjoy the scene and I want him to understand that the point of the scene is plot exposition. Mm-hmm. It's not a puzzle for him to solve. Mm-mm. It's not a situation for him to win or get out. It's literally just your brother's going to show up and yell at you. It, and this is so everybody at the table can hear your brother yell at you. Right. Can see the family dynamic, can see, can feel how you react to the situation. And and you and everybody else gets now gets to see exactly what's happening while you're not there mm-hmm. to the family business and stuff like that. Right. Um, so he's going to air a bunch of dirty laundry. And so I was like, all right, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a week. I need you to understand that you don't need to win the situation. Mm-hmm. He's going to yell at you. He's going to be a jerk. This is not because you've done anything wrong. This is just plot exposition. Think about how you want to respond to that so you can be prepared when it happens in game. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you any particulars about what's going to say or what any other scene is you know, going on or whatnot. But I gave him that forewarning. And I think it worked wonderfully because when it hit the table, he hit the ground running and he had some good snapbacks. He really brother. did. He really did. And then at the end of it, he was just like, I, I don't know what any of that was about. I, I just I'm emotionally distraught. I need to go take a walk. Yeah, which is precisely what I you know what I thought the mm-hmm. you know again he didn't need to cast a spell. He didn't need to win the situation. You know mm-hmm. it was just right. Wow, my brother really is a jerk. Yes, that's the takeaway. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. No, and I I felt all of that. Uh, I felt all of it went exceptionally well, mm-hmm. and you rolled with everything else that was going on uh with the way that uh, Rigar's character 
wanted that skull to be placed and his turns and twists about his like I'm successful mm-hmm. kind of take on everything which was grand. It was grand to see that. Yeah, yeah. Um that's a, so. that's a character who's who's been leaning into his fame edge mm-hmm. quite a bit and I I like playing into it, you know. So yeah. man starts dragging a dragon skull across the town square, <laughs> people are going to notice yeah. and show up, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, no we had, we had a lot of fun. Um I got to admit, I'm very surprised that the game went as well as it did, uh, being that I was still coming down from a slight overdose of a medicinal sleep aid Yeah, uh, I mean, you, when I you showed were, up. You were better than you think you were. I, I was, man, I, I felt so out of it when I got you there. You were doing great. Like, honestly, your, your acknowledgement of it was one thing, mm-hmm. but the fact that we opened up the game with doing our advancements gave you plenty of time. Yeah, and I think that's what made the difference. If we'd have hit the ground running instead of taking some time to look very through books and, and level up our characters, then it would have, yeah. have been very different. So. Yeah, but otherwise, fantastic job. Well, thank you. You know, And hopefully we're going to be wrapping up Act 2 with a, uh explosive season finale. Um Okay. Next uh, next game session. Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting. That'll be an interesting one. So. So you you say you don't see where it's going. So I, well, I kind of said where I thought it might, like what what triggered the situation, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem like there is a direct outcome that makes sense for where what opens to Act Three. Gotcha. Okay. It doesn't. It, there's no clear path. Like I, I can see the events that are about to occur, mm-hmm. but it doesn't paint a larger picture for me in any way. Gotcha. So okay, yeah. Like Good. I, as as I put it, the uh the meal that has been presented up to this point makes sense that the steak is about to hit the table, and here is why. I have no idea what's for dessert. Right, right, right. Like, I don't right. know what the close of this crap is. And you don't know if that steak is coming out with blue cheese on it, or... No, French no, fried onions, not. or mushrooms, or what, you know? Yeah, but I, I am expecting the chef to show up, so... Fair enough, fair enough. All right, let's get let's get to the... Speaking of meat and potatoes... Yes. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this discussion, because Can, we have quite a show in front of us. I'm going to do a pre-disclaimer yeah, before yeah, yeah. the disclaimer. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, This show, we started talking about... Months ago, mm-hmm. and almost, God, we we've we touched this topic multiple times because we had, uh, it seemed like every time we would talk about an IP, we would kind of find another little thing about doing games and IPs, um, in specific IPs, uh, that that would kind of I don't know peel another layer or add another question to be asked about about it and how functionally it would work and how it does work and how it doesn't work. I think this came to a head yesterday when we were talking. And then today you had opinions. (laughs) (laughs) So we have lots of material to cover and I love it all. I love all of the things that we've got here. Part of me wanted this to be two shows, but it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense as two shows. So uh, for those of you who are unprepared... Welcome to the ride that is talking about intellectual property, existing intellectual property in storytelling. Uh, we're not going to be talking about like how to design it or how to how to access it or anything like that. We're going to talk about everything else about it. 
Uh, so uh, put put on your listening ears. We're going to be going through a lot. Yeah. All right. So my, my disclaimer about this basically is that a lot of my opinions about these fandoms um, are from the perspective of a casual of, of a casual fan. Um, but the only like major fandom that I have like. I mean, there's a, there's a couple we'll, we'll discuss tonight. Like, I, I, I've i read all the Dresden Files books. I've read all the Wheel of Time books. Um, I'm a pretty, you know, lifelong Star Trek fan. Um, things like that. But, like, some of the other ones, like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and whatnot that we'll be bringing up. Um, understand that I'm discussing a lot of these things from the standpoint of a casual fan. Mm-hmm. And the main reason I am 100% okay with that is because... A lot of other people who get involved in role-playing games based on these IPs are going to be just like me, okay? Mm -hmm. They're going to have seen the Lord of the Rings movies. Maybe the Hobbit movies, too. Maybe read a book, maybe. Maybe read the book, you know, back in high school or something. Or or listen to it on audiobook, you know, or something. Exactly. But we're not... When I start making broad statements about, like... um, you know, oh, well, there's, there's not a lot of room for stories to be told in this IP or things like that. This is from the observation of someone who has not read every last angstrom of the supplementary material to to know the ins and outs of things. And that's because we're trying to assume the lowest common denominator. Most people are going to be like me, casual fans. Yeah, and there are fans who are interested in stuff. There are casual fans who have a bit more information. And then there are those who have a greater depth of knowledge, either based on the fact that they've, you know, they've touched the intellectual property through multiple mediums. Um, They have, you know, studied it because they find it, you know, impressively interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, that breadth of knowledge then grows from that point to expert levels, like Stephen Colbert with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like that that there there's an apex level there that like you can't run a game with him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like and I I'm like I'm I'm a lifelong trekker and there are plenty of things that I could never like I, I can't touch Stephen Colbert's level of knowledge about that IP mm-hmm. in equivalency with Star Trek. No. No. But there's also a lot more information. But we'll get to that. Yeah, so yeah, sure, regardless, sure. understand that we are we are trying to do from that perspective. All right. So the discussion we're going we're to start in a large portion of this discussion is going to basically be discussing the main complications about playing inside of an established IP. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, so the first big thing that you have to look at is basically how hard is an IP to engage with? Yeah. I mean, really, when when you when you look at an IP, one of the first things that kind of comes to your at least came to me as a question, mm-hmm. I would say, was does the length or breadth of the existing material that sits in the public make it easier or harder? Because in some cases, like I would say this 15 years ago mm-hmm. or 15 to 20 years ago, we didn't have fandom.com. We didn't have a wiki page for every fandom that there was, was out there. There was not literally multiple billions of hours worth of YouTube content available. You know? Right, where people are doing reviews and documentaries and things about individual parts of a fandom. Yeah, exactly. Of an IP. So now that we have this lexicon that is literally at the at our fingertips at any time, does it make it better or worse? Uh, I mean, I think in a lot of ways it makes it better. Um, but I, I think the, the, un- 
for me it's 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 better because you you can you can get your your important information in quicker more accessible bite-sized summaries right Mm -hmm. true um so i can watch a video that explains the star wars universe in a half hour to me you know uh, without having to watch, what is it now, nine movies and any number of different, you know, series, uh, TV series like The Mandalorian or Ahsoka or, you know, any of those things. Um, and then, of course, is, that's nine core movies, not counting things like Rogue One, Solo, right? you know, things like that. Um, the Halloween things... special, the holiday special. The, 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 yes, the holiday special. Exactly. Um you know, but but there's a but there's a lot of people who you know we we had this discussion last uh, last week when we were discussing the Dresden Files RPG. Mm-hmm. You know, where you were like, there are 17 books in this series. Mm-hmm. Do how much of that do I need to read to sit down and play a game of Dresden? Mm-hmm. And I mean, ostensibly the answer is none of it. Right. But the more you read, the better. You know. Right. Um. And the and the more nuance you're going to understand about it, and I think that's that's kind of the 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 crux of this question of how hard is an IP to engage with is like when you're looking at the IP in general and saying like, okay, well, how much of the actual source material do I need to engage with to play in a role playing game and be able to immerse myself in the world enough to imagine it and to make informed decisions within it. Mm-hmm. You start looking at things like Dresden Files. It has 17 books and a number of short stories. You start looking at Wheel of Time, which is 14 very dense books, plus one short story, and now mm-hmm. two seasons of a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these things are adaptations of other things, mm-hmm. like the TV show is an adaptation of the books for Wheel of Time. So yeah. you're going to get different plot points, and you're going to get them in different orders. Yeah, I I agree with that. that statement. Lord of the Rings is three main books, yes. but it's also got like what six movies now, and that uh, Rings of Power TV show, which I'm not yep. sure is canon or not. Yep, cartoon, an animated version of it. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, I'm running an Elder Scrolls game mm-hmm. based on five core games mm-hmm. uh, and an MMO. Yep, and a uh, handful of other ancillary little games. Most of those are just you know weird little phone games. But I. So, so to me, I think depending on the property, and we'll get to some other statements about that, having accessibility to resources other than a single book or a single TV series or a single movie, you know, that everyone would need to watch to really get into it, like, gives that accessibility, Mm -hmm. you know, if... If we're going to be, you know, uh, doing a Star Wars game that involves Mandalorians, Mm -hmm. and I'm not a Star Wars person, but, like, I've heard the terms, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I didn't watch any of the movies or whatever, right? Now I can at least go to YouTube, type in Mandalorian, and start getting information instantaneously. Yeah, yeah. You know, probably more than I need, but at least I have it. Yes. Um... And so that opens up that doorway. No really different than, like, being able to watch Let's Plays of games yeah, sure. that are out there. Sure, absolutely. You know, um, a lot of people who were getting ready for Baldur's Gate 3 were like, do I need to play Baldur's Gate 2 or Baldur's Gate? And mm-hmm. the answer was, well, no. It's it's just set in Baldur's Gate. And they're like, right, like, shouldn't I know things about it? Mm-hmm. You know, and when they got to certain scenes, 
you know, spoilers alert, there are characters from the previous games in it. Sure. You know, they weren't excited about it. And then they found out later, like, oh, that was an important character that I murdered. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Crap. Yeah. I didn't realize that. That was just somebody that an NPC was talking about a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, well, yeah, things happen. Yeah. You know? But the point was is that, like, by finding out that information, they were like, oh, they were doing fan service in that part. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great for a digital game, but if you're sitting at a table and half of the table goes, oh, my gosh, is that Bubba Fat? And you're like, who? Bubba who? Exactly. Bubba is, Gump? Is it like Bubba Gump? Yeah, yeah exactly. Is that like, does he sell fish or something, you know? It it comes off a little differently. Yeah, you yeah know? exactly, exactly. But the the access to that information is being there makes it easier also to sell it to your players because now you can hand them like you did in your Elder Scrolls game mm-hmm. specifics like hey if you want to you know you want to learn about the Clovian Highlands here's a YouTube clip watch this section of it mm-hmm. you know um you're you're under you know this god and this race here's YouTube clips and here's a fandom page you can go to mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know uh, the, on the Elder Scroll wiki you know um. There you go. You're good to go and roll. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's great. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Like, that, that's a, that, that accessible. And if you're a truly blessed storyteller, your players will not only do that homework assignment, but they will then go, oh, I'm super interested in this and do a little bit more of their own research. And we end up with what we've got with my warrior, Rigar, who turned into a dragon-killing fanatic because that's his Nordic heritage. Yeah. I didn't hand any of that to him, but he read that on his own, and he was like, I am so here for that. Okay. So then that begs to ask the question is, are we expected to know everything? How much do we need to know? Right. Like, what? where do you stop? Uh, that's, I mean, it's not an easy question to answer because any more knowledge you have about the game is going to be useful because you'll understand the nuance of the setting more. Right. You'll understand the authorial intent, et cetera, et cetera. And you'll be able to use those elements a lot better in your story. Um. But there's always that kind of, like, double edge to it of, like, are we doing a disservice to it if we don't fully engage with it and grasp all the nuance of the canon, you know? Mm-hmm. Is there ever a point where we're where we're insufficient? Yeah. And I part of me thinks back to my early days of Palladium. Because one of the things that Palladium used to do is throw a lot of detail about the world in their books. And players would chew through it. Like... They'd want to learn everything about it, and now their characters suddenly had extensive knowledge of the Coalition. Because it was in the book, in a player-accessible area. It wasn't behind the DM section, mm-hmm. right? They read just the normal stuff, so they knew all about what was going on there. Likewise, when I went to first start playing Shadowrun, I was overwhelmed. It was just Seattle, and I didn't... There was too much yeah. to try and to try and pack in. I had to ask the question, like, what matters? Right, what right. What do I need to know to play this game? Honestly, um, Vampire the Masquerade felt the same way. Like, do I need to know every single group in the Camarilla? Like, do I need to know their ins and outs? Yeah, yeah. You know, so even outside of IPs, I think this sits. But when you get an IP like this, where the information isn't in one book. Mm-hmm. It's spread over novels. It's spread over, that have perspective. It's spread over movies or series or episodes. Now, now you've got perception involved of like what 
becomes canon over other things Mm -hmm. if it's indiscriminate properties. And you're not expected to know everything as a player, definitely. I think as the storyteller, you can set that stage. You can set that scope. Yeah. And and, and help people understand what they really need to do to engage yeah i i think i think scope is the important part like from from my own elder scrolls game you know obviously elder scrolls has a lot of stuff going on there's a lot of a lot of material to draw from especially with there being an mmo involved oh, that's like six expansions deep you know with, um, with thousands of hours of content oh absolutely and it's all it's, it's all so good too i wish i wish i had more time to engage with the mmo because it, it's real each elder scrolls online is great mm-hmm. um but uh i i think i think setting the scope is the important part for mm-hmm. both you and your players of basically saying like okay look there is all of this stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm not obligated to bring all of that in. No. I'm going to set you guys in one town. I'm going to give you one of two organizations that the, the buildings are literally right next to each other and you're closely tied and working together. So it might as well be one organization. Sure. You know, um, and I'm going to use that as an excuse to send you out and give you little adventures so I can give you bite sized pieces and you can become acclimated as you go. You know? and, and I almost say that um, as players choose to engage with other parts of the world, like, for instance, your rogue decides to start engaging with the Thieves Guild, mm-hmm. you know, of a specific city, and they might have some knowledge as a player, then player might be like, hey, um, I have some contacts here. I was wondering if a certain contact who's kind of anonymous might be around that I could ask an in-depth question to. Mm-hmm. Like, are you talking about someone from one of the games? Yeah, legitimately. Could be a Khajiit, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, okay, he probably exists. All right, sure, roll some dice. You know? But for me, that's no different than in a non-IP game when a player's just like, hey, I've got this NPC idea that I want to have as a contact yeah. who's a pr- who, who was a disposed prince. And just has fun with everybody. Great. Sounds sure, like man. a great NPC. Be a fan of your players. Yes, yeah. and that shit. So I, I feel that there's that grace in there as long as the <clears throat> communication and understanding the scope is in place. Yes, yes, absolutely. You don't want them running off in another direction than the plot. But if it if it can be a service to the plot, why not give them a little bit of fan service of the story? Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Lean, lean into it a little bit, but don't, you know, don't, don't depend on it. You yeah. Know? Yep, yep, yep. So, okay, let me let me ask this question then. Um, so we were talking about, like, how difficult is it to engage with an IP? What would make a good IP to engage with? Like, what what do you look for in an IP that makes it look welcoming and, and approachable? So this goes back a couple of shows for us, and it, it there was a moment when I was – when it kind of dawned on me. Like, I had that, that long vision of, like, I need to remember this for a show, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And I said – I said to myself, I says, I says to myself, I says to myself, I says to myself, you got to have a gimmick. You got to have a gimmick, baby. Yeah. Um, I said to myself, it has to be a large enough scope that there's plenty of room for the PCs to forge their own way to go in it away from main plot and canon. Yes. So like you, you can have a, you can have a world, you know, that's set in, that's set in a certain feeling, you know, and setting, but if there's no space left over that hasn't been uncovered or touched and remarked about in some way through the kind of, you know, canonical uh, 
entries that have mm-hmm. already been placed within Wiki and everything else, it makes for a very challenging space for players to engage with. Um, so, in comparison, and, and this is one of the ones that that I think um, where you can you can see it is Star Trek and Star Wars, both both as IPs leave a lot of space. It doesn't seem like it at first glance, but in truth, the Mandalorian proved that. Oh yeah, that yeah. There is, that there is dead space. Rogue One proved that there was space available where a single statement that is undefined mm-hmm. can. Sure, there could be a story there. Yeah. Why not? It can even be tied to the storyline at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved that um, when I was at Gen Con. There was a we we played a Mandalorian game in the Star Wars uh, um, system, and no Jedi's, no Force stuff, none of that was involved. It was we were all Mandalorians in a wayward tribe sure. doing stuff. The guy had actually written that well before the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. like he knew enough about the canon to say, oh. The Mandalorians had splintered off into tribes and had done all these things. So I just figured that these guys are a bunch of mercenaries and they're not liking how other tribes are now working with cartels and things like that. So let's see what these players do. Oh, they're going to turn on uh, on the other tribes because they're not being Mandalorians anymore. Right, right, right. You know, and maybe they're going to try and pull some assets together of their own to make their tribe stronger. And so... He took one segment of that and ran it at Gen Con. Now, after the Mandalorian, he was like, it still fits. But at the end of our story, we were meeting up with Bo-Katan to rebuild her tribe and bringing a ship. And it fit mm-hmm. right into the story. And he was like, it fits so well, I just kept it. You yeah, know? And I yeah. was like, that's beautiful. That's a great... It's nice to touch the IP at the end, if you know. I was... I was <laughs> it's always nice to touch your IPs together. <laughs> that's right. Um... It's actually something I was I was I was remarking to Sean the other day is like the the magic of weaving plots together, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. You, you you don't you you write your own little plot scaffolding and you kind of have an idea for like what events you want to take place, yep. what events might take place logically sure. and whatnot, and then you take what happened in last game session that leave you know trajectories loose ends right and between game sessions you take those two things and you weave them together mm-hmm. like a basket mm-hmm. you know. Um, where you want them to go and what the players did, and you create those little, like, this could me- make this happen. And then you get in your, your story, and you're like, oh, yeah, because you did that thing, then this is going to happen now. Yeah. And everybody looks at your plot and goes, wow. Yeah. That's remarkably well-written and put together. How do you do it? Hey, I'm just that good, you know? Yeah. I mean... I will present this to you. So we, I talked about Star Wars. I've talked about um, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, in that sense, something like Dresden, where, as I see it, Dresden is a very linear, kind of narrow story that sits in a larger world. And uh, in yeah. that sense, it leaves buckets of space. Yeah, I mean, Dresden... Harry throws his weight around in the story. He definitely is the catalyst for some pretty big events taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, that that fundamentally alter the how that universe functions. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I gotta say, by book 17, he's starting to kind of become a little bit of a Mary Sue, where he's wearing a couple different hats that are like, oh, how great that you are the chosen one of this, and also the this, and also the best at this, and mysteriously, by the circumstances of your birth, you also have this attribute. Um, It's a bit much. But it took 17 books to get there, you know? Right. So there's still a lot of great space in that world where, yeah, okay, Harry throws his weight around, but he's still just some chump from Chicago. Right. In a lot of ways. Right. You know? Um, Counterpost to that, I will say, and this is this is me kind of being a little bit of a jerk about it. Sure. Harry Potter is a hard timeline mm-hmm. with defined points. I mean... You could do a story in Harry Potter kind of like they did, but unfortunately they ate up that canonical space as well of America, early mm-hmm. America, and a specific point in time, but the you're not going to affect the world. You're stuck within the timeline that exists within Harry Potter. You could do a post-Voldemort story, right? It'd be a it'd be a whole new story with a whole new situation with characters that would ex- that have existed within the Harry Potter verse. You could do a pre Tom Riddle story, like severely pre Tom Riddle story. You know that would be a whole thing within itself. You know the birthing of magic, or maybe the hiding of the magic in the veil. Don't get too deep into the into the Harry Potter thing yet. Okay, because uh, there's. There's some examination to be done a little bit later in this in, in, in this in this discussion though. But the only thing that I'm saying with that is is that sometimes that that empty space that you have to realize is not physical space within the world, yeah. but within time. Within time, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and finding your gray area that fits for your story may take a little digging as a storyteller if you have a specific IP in mind. Yes, exactly. And then that unfortunately requires you to hard scope it with your players so that they understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so things, what are the things that are needed? Uh, okay. So I, I think the, one of the big ones for me is easy enough world building to understand. Okay. Okay. Like I, there are a lot of, there are a lot of IPs out there where the world building is very esoteric and, and you need to like understand a lot to kind of piece together what the significance of some things are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think some of the best world building uses simple consumable concepts, right? Mm-hmm. Star Wars. Once I, one, I, I, I always found that unapproachable until somebody just said, it's just D and D in space. Mm-hmm. Complete with wizards, mm-hmm. princesses, mm-hmm. magic swords. Yep. What is the story of the first Star Wars? Uh, you know, a, a new, a new hope. Mm-hmm. It's gather your adventuring party. We're going to rescue a princess from a castle where a dark wizard has her prisoner. Yeah, it's pretty solid. It's pretty solid. That's the plot. Yep. Yep. Okay. Cool. So once I got that, suddenly I was like, oh crap! I get Star Wars now. You know, to yeah. to an extent. I mean, yeah. obviously there's a lot of nuance to it from there, but like the core concepts of it, yeah. I can roll. I can roll Star Wars. That's great. There may be an episode coming up where we talk about filing off certain things. Yeah, it might be part of that. <laughs> um, and be, it's it's either that or mm-hmm. the concepts are compartmentalized enough that you don't need to understand all of them to tell an engaging story. 
right? Agreed. Okay. So, like we talked about Dresden Files earlier, you mm-hmm. don't need to know every single one of the supernatural factions and how they interact. Mm-hmm. Okay. The books don't even do that. Right. Okay. The first three books, the first book basically introduces you to the concepts that there is magic. Mm-hmm. It understands how how magic works in this universe. Yep. There are other practitioners of magic, and there are fairies. Sure. And we get to meet a few of them, but we don't really get into, like, court politics. Oh, and there's, I think we get to meet a demon that he summons at one okay. point for some information. Sure. Um, okay, second book. Mm-hmm. Forget all that. We we learned all of that, and that's still in the universe, okay? But now we're talking about werewolves. Mm-hmm. There are, like, four different types of werewolves. Mm-hmm. Here's a book about them. Okay. Okay third book forget all that now we're talking vampires okay so and and ad nauseum effectively until you have all the pieces that you need exactly and then once you're into like book six you're like okay well i i know all the fairies i know all the all all the all the vampires i know all of the the wizarding groups Mm -hmm. you know and now we can play with them now we can mash them together and stuff that but the books even introduce them slowly one at a time so we could understand them right and get their nuance and stuff that and you can do the exact same thing with your games, mm-hmm. you don't you, you and I picked up the Dresden book and you because you don't know Dresden were very intimidated by the first 90 pages of it where it went. Here's how big the universe is and yeah. nuanced. And you went, I am overwhelmed. Here's the first six books of Dresden's lore. Yeah. Yeah. Dump. Um, but you don't need to. Right. You can literally start a game where it's like we're just dealing with vampires. Right. And I think that's really where the scope of, of getting into any role-playing game is, is having the DM set those, that scope so that books like Shadowrun don't scare players away. I think it's a good thing to have for both of those things. Um, I think that a good IP has interesting characters within the world outside of the players. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. It needs to have interesting locations. Yes, I, I think those are, are, are solid. But those those locations need to be intrinsic to the story and intrinsic to the world. Yeah. You know, if there are Jedis, there need to be temples, mm-hmm. whether they're ruined or existing. Sure. You know, because there has to be some something physical to, to negotiate that. Um, events are another big thing. Those events that drive the story in a specific direction Mm -hmm. whether it's your unique plot story that's going on or it's the world story that's happening around your players while their story is going on because there's always side events that are one thing but then the second part of that is that the world is alive it is okay for world events to occur that your players are just accepting as happening around them yeah, and that's perfectly normal. Yeah, the the world the world has to live, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the the second part of that then is that it has to have interesting mechanics, like right. some sort of an X factor. And I'm not talking like game mechanics, but mm-hmm. nece- but like some sort of an X factor that makes the world unique from our own. Okay. Yeah, why are we here and not just in reality? You right, know? right, and like having a Star Wars game that's involved during the time that the Empire is in power, mm-hmm. but your players are literally having to just deal with them. They can't negotiate. There's there's no way they can negotiate with it. Maybe they the closest thing they can do is dealing with the cartels, right? But the Empire is just an imp- 
impassable wall that shows up and causes problems. Mm -hmm. That's a way that that can exist and constantly keep pressure and force in an area. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Absolutely. So. All right, let's start talking about some of the other the other complications here. Sure. Um, so one one of the big ones, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier, mm -hmm. is does the cannon have enough room in it to fit other characters? This is this is interesting. So yeah, this is this is honestly the biggest wall I run up against when I'm talking about getting into an existing IP, and I think this is one of the reasons why I gravitated towards Elder Scrolls, because in and of themselves, Elder Scrolls is a set of role playing games. Um, on the computer that is designed to be open enough to insert your own character into. There is no canonical Elder Scrolls main character, right? Right. There's no Elder Scrolls movie that says this is the story of this dude. Yeah. There's... I mean, they're, well, I mean, there's Skyrim. Right, but who's the hero Correct. of Skyrim? Correct. It's you. Well, it's whatever character you make and whatever well, it's choices. It's the Skyrim you... dude, like the Halo it, dude. It's the Skyrim. Yeah, Skyrim guy. <laughs> it's Skyrim guy. So you you play as John Skyrim. Mm -hmm. Um. So, <laughs> uh, uh, this is so. Anyways, this is the biggest place that I that I that I bounce off of a lot of IPs because I feel like the heart of the story, the thing that makes the story interesting, is the adventure the character the main characters have. So give one. So, I'm going to be controversial here, and I'm sure. going to say Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> I'm staring at my Lord he's, of the Rings poster. As, as he points viciously at the Lord of the Rings poster up on his wall. Um, <laughs> so, okay, again, this, and this, it's is, actually just a really this is the reason I wrote it, the so. disclaimer at the yes. beginning of, like, understand I am a casual fan. Sure. Okay, so, I've not read the books. I bounced off of them when I tried to read them one time. I may do better with an audiobook, but I don't care enough to go back and try it again. Sure, sure. Um, you I saw watched, the movies. I saw the movies. I saw the Hobbit movies, which, say what you want about them, I've never cracked open the Similarian or anything like that. Similarian. Similarian. You know, yeah. Sure. yeah, I can't even pronounce it correctly. You're so. fine. You're doing fine. All right. Anyway. <laughs> okay. The story, to me, okay, from my perception, largely is the adventuring party and their adventure. Okay. The world... At least from the standpoint of a casual fan, and I'm mm -hmm. going to get so many negative comments for this, is just a backdrop, right, mm -hmm. to which the party tells the real story, which is about themselves, okay? This party could be anywhere. It's about the Fellowship of the Ring, okay? And they trek across, you know, the, the, entire, the entire map to dump this ring into a volcano because mm -hmm. some bad guy did something bad a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Landmarks along the way are only largely only consequential because the fellowship visits them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Weathertop is only interesting and we only know it's a, we only know its name because it was a place that they camped and Frodo gets stabbed by a ring wraith. Mm -hmm. Other than that, it's some ruins that isn't doing anything and didn't do anything afterwards. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, they go to like Rivendell. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, oh, it's beautiful. It's the elven, the elven city. Okay. And what happens there? Largely the elves say, we don't want to get involved. This isn't our problem. Mm -hmm. Please leave. Mm -hmm. And a group of people gets together and goes, you know, somebody has got to do something about it. And the fellowship of the ring forms. And then they leave. Mm -hmm. Rivendell just happens to be the place that conversation took place. I mean, in in many ways, 
one hobbit said he would take care of it, and they were all like, ah, crap, we can't let him go alone. Yeah. Speaking of the hobbit, (laughs) the Shire. Yeah. We're talking about a place where uh, it is remarkable that a second hobbit decided that they wanted to leave and go off on an adventure. It is literally a landmark noted for the isolationist and and you know properties of its uh, of its inhabitants. Okay, and everybody was like, "F the Bagginses, yeah, they they are troublemakers because two of them wanted to leave and to go do things." So, so I'm gonna say this: mm-hmm. you are not wrong. Everyone effectively is an isolationist. And or a a or wanted to be not involved mm-hmm. because it wasn't in their idiom to be involved. Everybody who gets involved only gets in trouble. Was kind of the running story, right? Is that we have all the things that are ours. We're all separated. Everyone is happy. There's this a few random things that are happening that aren't great, but we manage them, right? And very few people could see what was going on. Anyone who recognizes the final, the, 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 the underpinnings of Lord of the Rings is it's talking about our world and war. Mm-hmm. And the coming of war. And that most groups are hesitant to do anything about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look, look. Tolkien went off to World War I. Yep. Lost a lot of friends there. Yep. Came back with a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. And wrote a book about it. Yep. And and that's and that's it's a good tra- tragic that he had that experience that the world had that experience and wonderful that he created such a beautiful piece of art out of it. I am not here to trash Lord right. of the Rings, but what I'm saying to that is that that speaks to the isolation, to the the impetus to not move or mm-hmm. make a change. Yeah, you know, I am comfortable. Somebody else will take care of this. Yes, yes, and you know, and I get that, and and that's right. and that's a good theme, okay? right? But but it doesn't help when you want to put someone else in that world to go do something. Exactly. When I look at that, at how friendly to adventuring groups this this world is, it's not Faerun. No, you know, this isn't Forgotten Realms where you bump it. You know, you like like you said earlier, like you, if you if you threw a copper piece in a in a tavern. You know, chances are better than not you're bouncing it off of an adventurer. Right, you right. Know? There are two civilians in that town who live there that are and in that 27 inn. 27 adventurers. That's right. <laughs> exactly. One of them is the innkeeper, because mm-hmm. he lives there, and the other is the bard who's playing right now, who's getting kicked off the stand for the adventurer bard who has better songs. Bold of you to assume the barkeep is not an ad- not a retired adventurer himself. He lives in the town. He does not adventure anymore. That's all I said. doesn't adventure anymore. Correct. Because he right. took an arrow to the knee. But regardless... Right. But then you look at Lord of the Rings, on the other hand, and it's like, wow, this is a world that has room for precisely one adventuring group, and it is so so significant that one adventuring group formed, they wrote a three-book series about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And, I, and then I look like, okay, so where do I put my adventuring group? I don't. The world is hostile to them. So, the one part of this that unfortunately takes you... It it takes a certain mind frame mm-hmm. to paint to, to to put into perspective what could be, is is the writers who tend to do the stories of like hey, you know, these are the fighters who fell out of a who survived a combat and are left over. They're a small unit. Mm-hmm. That this is their adventure of what happened when the rest of the army was gone and they 
they're injured and self, you know, huddled off into some area and and now they're surviving. Yes, it's surviving in world in the Lord of the Rings world, getting back home. That is a story that can be told, but it's not an easy one to think about, right? And it pigeonholes your char- your players into characters that they have to be to fit that framing. I'm gonna I'm gonna say right off the bat, I love Firefly. I loved it as a series. I thought Serenity was great. Sure, but it is it runs the exact same problem. I agree. Hard agree. Because hard agree. It is hard to think about anything else you're going to do in the Firefly universe other than the forementioned fire flying around. Yeah, <laughs> fire flying around. Okay. You're you're not wrong. Yeah. Like are you going to tell a story about being a a a, a group of bandits on a outworld somewhere in the Firefly universe? Sure. But, like, how is that Firefly IP and not just Space Western? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, how are you making feel Firefly unless you're throwing a lot of fan service in? Yeah. You know. And and the problem, I think the the, the biggest problem there is that for uh, the the, the problem is threefold. First is that the show got canceled long before its, its, its time was due. So we don't have a lot of material to work on with it. You've basically got one series, one season of, of, of a series and a movie. And we're not going to talk about the comics. Just neither of us have enough information there. We're just going to walk away. Casual fans, remember. Casual fans. Casual, casual fans. fans. Okay. So so to the casual fan, it's one season, one season of a TV show and a movie. Correct. All right. In there, what, what world building do we get? We get... There are two main factions, Browncoats and Alliance. Pretty much. Browncoats yeah. and the Alliance fought. Browncoats lost. Alliance are now with the government about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently they do some shady stuff like genetic engineering, but again, we don't know if that's like a sub-faction or if that's like a thing the Alliance is all about. We never got to explore any of that. Right. Okay. But the main characters don't like the Alliance. Don't know if that's because they're Browncoats or the obje- Alliance are objectively bad guys or maybe a mix of both. Sure. Okay. And then there's also the Reavers, and the Reavers are basically, they've got no, re- they're, they're more of a threat than a faction. They've got no real politics other than eat babies. Mm-hmm. They're kind of the zombies of the universe. Yeah, yeah. So, something to that effect. They're, yeah. They're, they're, they're the questionable monsters, because there are no monsters in this world. E- exactly, exactly. So. so. So that's it. That's, other than that, it's just space western. Yeah. So there's nothing really there to build upon. The entire story is the crew of the Serenity. Yep, yep. So what's this lead us to? Does the canon okay. inspire the storyteller to tell their own stories within it? Do you look at that world? Do you look at the source material for that canon and go, Oh, I can think of seven different stories I want to tell using this world as the canvas to paint upon? That's a good question. All right. So let's examine some of these. Sure. I'm going to come right back to Lord of the Rings. Okay. We're already we're already in with that one. Let's get stuck in further. So like we talked about, it's a passive world of isolationists. Yeah. There are interesting places um, that we looked at. There are interesting people. Granted, they're all isolationists. Um, but they do exist. They do enrich the story. I mean, for, uh, for all it's worth, you know, you've got the Ents who are there. You've got, you know... You've got um, Sauron, you know. You've got you've got all these different individuals who are are playing different games in different ways, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but 
everybody who is there, all of these assets, as we would look at it, yeah. are all static. Inert. Inert, yeah. They're static very inert. inert, yeah. Um, none of them want to get involved. Mm-hmm. And if the War of the Ring were not happening, mm-hmm. none like there wouldn't be stories to tell there, in my opinion. Like, I, I'm sure there are. Yeah. I'm sure there are. To a deeper fan than myself, there are. But when I watch the movies, I think to myself, what what other stories could be happening other than the War of the Ring? Other than the Fellowship trying to get the ring into the basket at the end of the, end of the basketball yeah. field? Like, I played Shadow of Mordor, mm-hmm. which was a neat game. Sure. I thought it was a neat concept, but I couldn't see that as, like, a group story. Yeah. A good solo story. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. By any means. It was a neat thing that they, they, they pinned in there, and it was a good story to tell. But again, I, I would... I would hesitate to believe that you would you would have to come up with some adjunct story of like I don't know uh, riders of Rohan getting broken off from a group of riders like a scout group that is now way off course and can't return because of the events that are going on with the War of the Ring sure the War of the Ring and it's a different story sure like what happens to them. That's the story you're telling. It could be. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying there are no places to tell cool stories. What I'm saying is when I watched the movies, nothing popped into my head. Right, right. It wasn't immediately inspiring you to tell a story about four dwarfs in Moria. Right, right, right. exactly. Like, uh, take take that and, can, can, you know, can contrast that with, say, like, The Division. Okay, it's a video mm-hmm. game you and I have talked about, we've mm-hmm. played quite a bit of. Yep. Um, And, like... I play that and I'm like, oh, wow, there's a lot of really good world building here. What what might be happening in other cities mm-hmm. that are dealing with the green poison? What might mm-hmm. they be dealing, you know, what factions have popped up there that are like the cleaners or like the true sons, you know? Yeah. What, what could be going on in Detroit right now? I kind of want to tell a story about that. What would happen if a couple of Detroit agents got activated? What would they find when they went downtown, you know? You know? And, and it's... In many ways, you could be filing the serial numbers off of the storylines that are happening in the main division story. Sure. Because technically, it's going to repeat itself in other places. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Ex- exactly. Um, and then, you know, like you said, just Firefly is just kind of space cowboys. Mm-hmm. Some it... people call it space cowboys. Some people call it the gangster of love. <sighs> wow. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that I don't. Um, and I would love to run a Firefly-like game, but... I can't say that I would love to run it in Firefly's universe. You know, if I think if I was going to run Space Cowboys, mm-hmm. I I would I would do the reverse. I'd be like, "Hey, I want to run a uh uh, uh um world uh, yeah, worlds without number game mm-hmm. or stars without number game, one of the two. Sure. Depending on the the system I want to use. Um and people are going to be like, "Okay, uh what's the setting?" You know what? We're going to use Firefly. That's that's the setting. It's, uh, you know, uh, humans have pushed out far enough that you're just outside a coalition space. So it's it's crazy. And there's, you know, there's wild elements. There's cap crazy capitalism. So it's Wild West. Mm-hmm. There you go. And so it's it's a tertiary. It's I'm not telling the Firefly story. I'm using that as a reference point so people can look at Firefly and go, oh, OK. So I know what it looks like. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's it. It's it's a framing of reference, not the IP. Yeah. And that's that's where that comes into reference. Yeah. That is why to this day 
literally people still say, like, well, what's D&D? Have you seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not by any means that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got an adventuring group. Adventuring group usually has a quest put put before them. They have enemies that come in front of them, and there's a bunch of combat that breaks out. You usually have to navigate not only those enemies, but uh, uh, various, you know, terrains and landscapes and traps and interesting things along the way. Uh, and then you finally get to the end where you either deliver the MacGuffin or you defeat the big bad guy or maybe a little die bit trying. of both. Or die trying. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of like d and I mean, the, is... the bones of it's there. Right, right. I mean, at least we now have the D&D movie to, to reference differently. But, God, you know. such a good movie. I, I, by the way, still have yet to see it. Oh, really? Yep, still have yet to see okay, it. Okay, well, we're going to get that changed. Yeah, but I'm totally going to get that changed. But, but the thing is, is that we have those references because if you squint at it. Mm-hmm. From an outsider's perspective, they go, oh, okay. And it's comfortable. Yeah. And that's that's when you're gracing the IP. You're not using it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So. All right. Next problem. Next problem. The chosen one problem. And I told you we'd circle back around to Harry Potter, and here we are. Here we are. Right in Harry's face. So the chosen one problem, with reference to this, uh, uh, is basically that it's kind of like there's not enough room for other characters. But this is not because the world is not big enough to accommodate more than one set of main characters, um, either in time or in consequence or in geography. But this is because the main IP of the story is the chosen one of the setting. Right. Okay. They make so many waves in the story as to make everything in the story that is of any consequence about themselves. Yes. So, Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. Legend of Korra, things like that, um, all about the Avatar mm -hmm. and what they're doing. They're mm -hmm. the ones making waves in the world. If you're not the Avatar, you're not making waves. Mm -hmm. Sure, there's plenty of other room for places for things to go on, but the Avatar is the one that changes the landscape everywhere they go. Okay, Harry Potter, same thing. Mm -hmm. The boy who lived, destined to fight Voldemort. Like the the, he was literally on the hit list by the ma the, the by the Magisterium, like. During the story. Yeah. Like, that's going to have to come up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Wheel of Time, to an extent. Okay. And I say to an extent because there are there there are ways around this. But, if, but you have to know the world. But you have to know the world a little bit to understand how that how the mechanic works. But you've got Randall Thor, the Dragon Reborn, throwing his weight around. Yeah. Um, and several other main characters that are also throwing their weight around and uh, difficult to find space for your own stories in amongst all that. I, I argue only one part about Wheel of Time is that it's a wheel that turns. It's happened before. It'll happen again. I exactly. You can always go a different iteration of the wheel. Or Correct. A, diff a different turning of the wheel. Yeah. Uh, and Star Wars, to an extent, has a chosen one problem. Um. No, the the reason I say Star Wars does because ostensibly, if you look at just the core material, it's just the story about how the Skywalkers screw up intergalactic politics constantly. Yeah, um, but like I said, you get stories like The Mandalorian where it's like, okay, no, 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 forget all the Skywalker stuff. Yeah, we're going. You see that planet way over there? No, 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 the one past that. Yeah, way over there. There's this guy. Cool. Is this guy a Jedi? No. no. I said, forget all that. Yeah, we're doing something different. That guy on that planet has a problem, and we're going to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. And will you know? Will it be Star Wars? Yes, it will be Star Wars. I assure you, it will, and yes. it's going to be glorious. Yes. Um, 
So they they do both. I would say you know both Wheel of Time and Star Wars have a big enough canvas to paint upon that you can dodge the chosen one in but them. But like in Harry Potter, you're never the light of the world that that spotlight is never going to be on your characters. Yeah, you're going to always have that spotlight scanning the horizon for where Harry currently is. There is no point at which Harry, the boy who lived, the one with the lightning bolt shaped scar, exists at Hogwarts and is not constantly at the heart of the rumor mill and the heart of every event that happens there. Or the main characters, regardless. And every year, mysteriously, a thousand points get added to Gryffindor because of Harry cut a big enough fart at the table or something like that. (laughs) And now, you know, everything's everything's great because Harry's there, you know? know, And people are going to be like, well, there's other magical schools. No. No, there aren't. No. Look, we can all agree there are only four types of children, okay? (laughs) And that's smart, brave... Sinister and other. And hungry. <laughs> what are they hungry for? We're not sure, but right. they're hungry. And and, and, and to, to, to my point, look at Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Okay, and what is no, spectacular? No, no. no. Well, Fantastic don't... Beasts and where to find Dumbledore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we tried to tell a story that wasn't about Harry Potter or Dumbledore, and we ended up making a, a story about Harry Potter and Dumbledore. Newt Scarmander may or not may as well not be in the story. He's a spectator to his own story. I, I think they tried in the first one. You could tell that it was trying to be an independent story, and... It got shoe. The only way that it felt like a story was to shoehorn in the villain of one of the characters from the main story. Yeah, well, you had to. You had to have that there, Joanne. If you're listening, log off Twitter and just stop. And just <laughs> stop. You're just just don't anymore. But again. In those, you always are going to have the impact. There's always going to have, and it's not even fan service. Mm-hmm. It ha- you have to address the plot yeah. of the main story. If you're doing it after Harry Potter, yeah, after the Harry Potter series, at post Voldemort, if you will, right? What does that world look like? It it yeah. exists because of the past that occurred. Mm-hmm. You could be like, well, that's just setting. No, no, no. You're going to be referencing. And having headmasters and things like that, unless you do it a hundred years later, mm-hmm. when it's vastly different and humanity is vastly different, or you do a hundred years prior where nothing looks like Harry Potter because it's like the stone age of, of you know, it's a, it's the, the, the technical revolution of man and industrialization and the wizards are doing something different mm. i mean aren't they doing the same things that they were doing either ceases to be harry potter or right. or you mention him a lot because he's the one that that made the story the way it was exactly yeah uh all right now we've got the problem of going off theme and not feeling like the ip yeah i think this, this is a weird one because this... it's based on vibes <laughs> well i think the, the 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 way we came about this one was the was that Star Trek specifically. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just examine that one for sure, a second because sure. it's something we both know relatively well and is out there. And I think even in all the iterations of Star Trek that have come out, Star Trek, Star Trek: The Next Generation, DS Nine, um, Voyager, yeah, um, the Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks. What was the Discovery, Discovery, uh, Discovery, Enterprise. Yeah, uh, and, and and Enterprise. I think out of all of them, 
Enterprise is the one that sits in my head for this the most. And that is, is that when you were examining Star Trek, most of what you're actually getting is peaceful exploration or the real undertone, which I think sits within all of it, which is social commentary, right? We're talking about a, a society that is post-scarcity in every one of these instances and the examination of humanity after post-scarcity. Mm-hmm. That's the story, mm-hmm. right? In And you look at every single one of the stories and it's that examination under a different lens, whether it's an episode or a movie. Yeah. You know, whether we're talking about Genesis Project, where we're creating a whole new world. Why? Because it's post-scarcity. We have science and technology. We can make worlds. I can terraform this place with one torpedo. Correct. Yeah. It can't do anything bad to be God or examining God. (laughs) (laughs) Or that one time that happened. Right, right. Or or any number of instances where we're we're examining humanity post scarcity, mm-hmm. you know how we look at other people now that we've gone through the tragedies, sure, and we examine ourselves through an alien situation, or send ourselves back in time and see how space space post scarcity dudes deal with capitalism, right? Or look at another alien race who took a different direction than we did mm-hmm. and are as post-scarcity as we are, but instead they're a warrior race or they're a heavily coalitionistic, you know, governmental, you know, uh, um, almost, uh, uh, what's the, uh, the word that I'm looking for? Um, authoritarian. Yeah. Uh, y- you know, to an nth degree. Yeah. 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 You know, um, and, and examining that. Sure. And understanding it. So the, the 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 point being though is that if you if you were to run a Star Trek game and you were not and your game didn't have themes of like exploration and science before combat mm-hmm. and looking for the peaceful resolution and things, always assuming the best about somebody, that right. a diplomatic solution is always on the table. Right. You know? If you ever, if you ever ran a, a a game that was like that that wasn't like that, it wouldn't feel like Star Trek, right? You know, and this is kind of where like you you need to understand the IP well enough to understand those themes, to be able to express those themes at your table and in your story. Yeah, to 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 run a star in a Star Wars universe, a Western plot. You know, with 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 black hats and white hats mm-hmm. style story would feel kind of awkward unless you were examining both. And that was the story. Yeah. Was the examination of both. Kind of like Picard fighting the Borg. It took an outside person looking at him going, you're willing to sacrifice everything for this battle. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. And... That was that whole movie. Yeah. Was you, an examination of them. We watched him go Rambo one time. Yeah. On a holodeck, even. Yeah. And mind you, the safeties were off, but we watched him go Rambo one time. And in, and somebody else in that story went, whoa, dude. Yeah. Maybe take it down a notch. But, but that was the story. Mm-hmm. That was the point of it. And 
that that exemplified how awkward that moment felt. Yeah. Yeah. One spasm of violence and people went, holy crap, that does not fit. Yeah. And the story calls him on it. Yeah. And he takes a moment to re-examine and goes, yeah, you know, that that really was a little over the line of me. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should find a scientific explain, you know, a, a solution to this. Maybe we should find a diplomatic solution to this. Mm-hmm. And wheels it back. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Wheel of Time, actually, uh, uh, I want to bring this one up because kind of also in service to not only the feeling of the themes and stuff of that, but also feeling of the mechanics in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean and I have had long discussions about this one for literal years. Okay, mm-hmm. literally no, I mean, since it's... since we started dating. Like, yeah. what, 12, 11, 12 years ago, something like that now? There's a lot of books, too. Um, But uh, uh, we've been mulling over... Uh, what mechanics to use for a Wheel of Time game. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that he's he really likes, there, there are sword masters in Wheel of Time. Sure. Okay. Um, they carry special heron-marked swords, mm-hmm. um, and they, they have these, like, moves that they use in the stories that have, like, clever names, like heron dips the wing, boar rushes down the mountain, cat crosses the courtyard, you know? The fight scenes are described using those terms, you know. Kieran Jamar at Chaka. Well, no, it's it's it, <laughs> like I'm sorry, that's kind of the feeling that I'm getting out of this moment. Th- think of them, think of them more like um, uh, uh, names for like uh, what an animal might do. Like think of them like leopard style kung no, fu. You it know, sounds or, like kung fu or, statements or mantis really. state. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what they what they're yeah. meant to be. So, yeah. um. Uh, and, and in the books, the fight scenes are kind of described like that. They don't say like, oh, he slashed across his belly or, you know, hit him with a vicious overhead slash. It was Rand did boar rushes down the mountain and then, you know, switched into Heron dips the wing while his opponent did cats, cat crosses the, the, the courtyard and then, uh, you know, moved directly into Heron waiting in the rushes. Yeah. And you start getting a sense for what these moves are in context. Sure. But they're never really, like, outright described as in, like, what exactly Boar Rushes Down the Mountain is. It's not a parry, then a riposte, then a thrust, then a defensive turn. Right. But you get the sense that if you know these moves, mm-hmm. then you are you are a kung fu master rather than a street brawler, sure. you dig? Sure, But ultimately, they're just like battle master fighters in D&D. Right? I suppose, yeah. They got a couple yeah. superiority die, and they can spend them on special maneuvers that either knock a person back, or trip them, or maybe get them, you know, in a, 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 a reaction attack if they miss, or something like that. I mean, it, it very much sounds like the 7th C sword schools. It, precisely, yes. That's another really great analogy to them. But the big thing that, 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 that Sean always kind of argued was, you can't just use combat for sword masters. Because it wouldn't feel like you're a sword master. You follow? And I think your 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 inclusion of sword schools in 7C is a great analogy here. Because there's a reason sword schools exist. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why having a sword school automatically puts you that cut above someone, some drunkard with rapier. Right. You know? 100%. Like, and that, I mean, that's spelled out heavily in the 7C guide is that once you are a sword master you don't fight you are allowed to duel under certain circumstances but otherwise 
you don't draw your blade. That's against the law. Right, right. But see, again, that's something you understand because you understand the IP. Right. The same way that Sean understands the IP of Wheel of Time and whatnot. Right. And so to someone who knows the IP, you're going to look at that and you're going to go, you can't just do combat. Right. Like that is insufficient to translate the feel of this particular part of the IP. Yeah. And so if you but but if you don't understand the IP well enough to do that sort of homage or homage, um, then you're going to end up with a situation where you may have some deeply unsatisfied players at your table going, This doesn't feel right. This guy doesn't feel like a sword master, even though you, the storyteller, are telling me that's what he is. Well, I mean, I would say the same thing that uh, someone said about uh, the lightsaber fighting in early editions of Star Wars didn't feel right. Sure. Because they weren't better at fighting. Like, you, when you saw a Jedi in the game's mechanics, it wasn't necessarily any better than a guy with a blaster shooting at them. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, a gun is still going to wipe you out, you know. But now, like, yeah, there's certain things that you can do only as a as a Jedi with a lightsaber that is that changes that entire makeup and makes you exceptionally dangerous yeah. to be around. Yeah. So. And then, and so therefore, it feels better, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know. Uh, all right. <laughs> then we've got we've got the big the big nasty one differing levels of familiarity yeah and and what we're talking about here is whether you have a storyteller who knows more than anyone at the table you know a player who might know more than the storyteller or the story is based basically on a field of knowledge like it is a it is a, a realistic level of knowledge mm-hmm. that uh, that maybe not everyone is familiar with. I, I, I would say, like, The Expanse is is pseudo uh, to realistic science. Sure. You know, it's there's a lot of physics that apply to it. And because of that, anyone who has a strong enough understanding of astrophysics and uh, astrometrics and uh, and basically um, gravitational physics can talk circles around whoever is working within that uh within that game uh we call them orbits not circles i'm sorry uh but yeah no we so but but no you're 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 not wrong you're not wrong but i i think i think different levels of familiarity are there's there's actually three separate problems here sure 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 so the first one is storytellers know more than anyone and the players don't know enough okay that's fair okay or you've got the inverse of that. Either the players know more than the storyteller mm-hmm. about the IP. Sure. And then you've got the third one, which is what you were talking about, where it's not necessarily IP knowledge. They don't understand more about the expanse. Right. But they understand more about space physics and travel, which a lot of the stuff is based on in the expanse. Right. So they have an advantage there. Right. I mean, it to a degree, is like 7C. If, if I actually am a fencing master... And I'm playing in 7C. I kind of have an inherent knowledge of how sword plays should be working. Yeah, and you can you can maybe bully the uh, the, the the storyteller a little bit, just a that. bit, just a bit. Um, Not so, to say that's ever happened. All right, so let's let's talk about the first one. The, the, the storyteller knows more than the players, and the players don't know enough. I feel okay. like this one happens more often than not. Yeah, this is probably the easiest problem to solve because honestly, your storyteller should be knowledgeable in the IP. Yeah. Um. 
the, 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 probably the biggest pitfall here is the storyteller feeling like they still need to know more, like they need to know everything before they can then present this to the to the table. God, how many storytellers talk that way? I, I, I remember when I was early on, I did that. Oh, yeah. I would study the crap out of whatever... Oh yeah, I was trying to get into. I, I still, I still do that with my Elder Scrolls game. I mean, we've well established that this is my game. Mm-hmm. This is not a Bethesda game. Like nobody's reading check. the wiki at night. Nobody's reading the wiki at night except me to make sure that the thing I'm doing is still within canon. Nobody and, cares, but I do. Yeah, I, I dare say that other people read into it with at our table, but only when you bring up something specific. Yes. Yes, you know, exactly. it's like, how should I be thinking about that? Did I remember that properly? Yeah. Um. So, like, you're you're definitely allowed to go off canon and have your own interpretation of things. You know, make it clear that this the story at your table is your iteration of the story. And if it does conflict with canon, then, you know, just accept what the storyteller has said. Forget what you saw in the IP and, you know, just mm-hmm. just just go with go with the reality established at your table. instead. Right, right, right. I would say also there's there's times where going off canon is the preferable step. <laughs> I agree. Um, there, like for instance, one of the big things, one of the big reasons I decided to run my Elder Scrolls games because I felt like the games did not go deep enough and mm-hmm. were not interactable enough. You know, it's a lot of fetch fetch quests and you know typical video gamey sort of stuff mm-hmm. of like, ooh, fight this monster. Wasn't that fun? Yeah, I mean it was a fun fight, but what did it all mean? Right. You know. It means you get 300 gold, adventurer. Cool. And my reputation to help you get is, to next thing. Is now plus two points. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I leveled up. I can put two more in athletics. You, you know? will get now access to this new furniture. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, there, there's that. And, you know, you may want to explore themes deeper that mm-hmm. were not explored in the in the IP. You know, take it into virgin territory that they, the, the, the original thing did. And then there's, you know, instances like... Uh, the Count of Anvil, where we've set our adventuring party in the canon, is named Corvus Umbranox. Let's break that down, people. Corvus Umbranox. You named the Count Raven Shadow Knight. Yep. Is Anvil the first city in Tamriel that has a hot topic in it? Apparently it does. <laughs> in fact, it may have two. Because, holy cow, guys. No, I'm changing that. Yeah, I don't care what the canon is. That's yeah. no, we're we're changing that. Yeah, that man is an edge lord. Yes, because yes. he's a lord, and an edged person. <sighs> so he's a, he's a he's a pizza cutter. All yeah. edge, all, all edge. edge, no point. Ooh, ooh, good point. Good point. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is, is that you, it's when you know more, you can introduce at your own level. Yes. You did this beautifully. You said, this is the area we're focusing on. These are the things you need to know. Here, I'm I'm going to hand feed you what you really need to right. know. Let's go explore an alien ruin. Who are the aliens? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Right. You're, that's going to be an important thing for you to know. Right. Is this common knowledge even? Yes. Yeah. These ruins are all over the place. Here's what their architecture looks like. They died a thousand years ago because we killed them all. And our story can now proceed because yep. you know this, you yep. know, and you made it easy to provide that information. Mm-hmm. So you were literally like saying, don't go look at shit up. I will give you links. Yes. Here you go. Yes. So and I, I liked that. I felt that that was a, a great way of handing things out mm-hmm. and being able to present that. 
Yeah. I think we start running into issue when it's players knowing more than the storyteller. Oh my god, this is the one that you start panicking about. Because you panicked immediately about this with, uh, when thinking about, um, not the Tron one, uh, you were thinking about a different system and you started to panic about, um, we were talking about actually about Battletech and it wasn't you. We were talking about Steve running Battletech. Yeah. Because he's terrified of you and he's terrified of Chris and to me to a degree, but like, I really don't know it all that well, but like the two of you and Chris know Battletech lore i've explained to him i haven't played since high school right it's irrelevant okay that's irrelevant because if i look at you and say who kicked the clanners out oh that's a long and complicated answer and i will tell you about it for the next 45 minutes correct and right there (laughs) because i know the answer that literally doesn't make and like and chris would do the same thing and that's terrifying to someone like steve who has a, a who has to go study that right, or right, feel that right. they need to. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest part of the panic is, again, trying to figure out what the expectation that the players have of the IP mm-hmm. and how much is going to be there. I, and those preconceived notions that your players might want more always. Sure. sure. I, I feel that that's the, that that's the, the expectation you set in risk. Of, before you even bring players to the table, before session zero even happens, before you even present the story, your the risk is in your mind of like, oh god, I need if I don't include and have answers to these questions, I I I I'm gonna feel like a fool before them. Yeah, well, that and you know, any, look, anybody who knows more about the IP, it is probably a safe assumption that they that they are more invested in the IP. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that means they probably already have some pretty well uh, set expectations of what that campaign and what that story is going to look like. Yeah, I would never run a comic book Marvel X-Men game for Knox. Mm-hmm. Ever. Oh, yeah. Now, granted, I'm willing to bet a lot could slide because infinite universes. Sure, like, sure. Like, if I literally just put at the beginning of my game, like the title of it is crisis on boom i think i've just solved all my problems anything goes right mm-hmm. but the truth of the matter is there's a lot of fear there because every time i've ever brought up comics on our podcast our listener Knox is like i know comics yeah and that's it's a terrifying thought to try and put that down um doctor who would be another one i would be challenged with because I know several of my friends are Hoovians. Mm-hmm. Deep, deep Hoovians. My wife being one of them. She's way deeper than me, right? And I would screw something up in the Hoovian universe. Yeah, yeah. Because that is a universe that, that spans books, movies, radio shows, all kinds of crap. Uh-huh. Right? You know, and if I'm just like, okay, uh... Here's a Doctor Who. They're gonna be like, Can't do not be. quote the the deep music, the deep magic to me, which I was there when it was written. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and but there's space yeah. in Doctor Who. Like it's yeah. it is a good it is a good IP. It meets all the hallmark yeah. hallmarks of a good IP. Yeah, right? exactly. But at the same time, it's terrifying. There's so many people out there who are deep Whovians that it would yeah, I would feel like I would screw it up. Oh yeah, yeah, you'd be walking on eggshells the entire time. Yeah. Yet as a player who knows a little bit about Doctor Who, who sits around with people who are and played in a Doctor Who game that was Lasers and Feelings, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It was literally fan service all around. Sure. It was great. It was fantastic. So it's it's those false expectations as storytellers that we set up 
because we're not defining the scope. Mm-hmm. We're not thinking about defining that scope. Uh, I think one of my one of my bigger fears too is that uh, players are going to um, introduce elements that I'm not familiar with, um, and it's kind of expect you to roll with them. Like you're going to end up with a player who's going to be like, um, actually, faction a- faction A is allied with faction B in the source material, and since you've introduced faction A, I should be able to call faction B into the story in a way that's advantageous to my character. And you'd be like, okay, I don't. I didn't know Faction B existed until now, mm-hmm. but you swear it's integral to the story, so sure, but I don't know who Faction B is, you know? Yeah. Like, what do you, like, you're kind of put on the spot at that point. But I think that's, I think when you're put on the spot like that, it is good to say, I don't know. Yes, yes, and that's and that's the thing. You really should be like, I'm not informed enough about this to do this. Can we can we talk about this maybe later? Mm-hmm. Maybe like, okay, you can put in a call to faction B, and I'll research them between games. But I'm not going to give you a firm yes or no right now as yeah. to what their what their answer to you is. Yeah, you know, like let's put a bounty out for this guy. The bounty hunters are good at that. I'll get a chit, and we can do this. You can be like, oh, I don't know enough about bounty hunters to be able to do that. Uh it's going to take you a while to get a good contact for them. Let's, sure. Let's talk about this between games. Let's delay so I can research. You yeah. Know, it's, that it's, should it's perfectly always be an acceptable thing. thing. That yeah. should always be out there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the, the two big things, again, make clear this is your story. Um, yes. You know, that should always be a thing. If anybody tries to tell you, well, actually, the canon, well, that's great. I'm... But but this isn't the canon. Right. Okay? This is right. my story and you're at my table. Right. Um. Be nice about it, though. You know, yeah. you don't have to be a, you have to be a jerk about it. Um, but the other thing too is that, like, you know, your friends want a good story, mm-hmm. and they, and uh, assuming if they know more than you about it, again, they're probably more enthusiastic about you than mm-hmm. than it. They are probably very anxious to make it a good story. Mm-hmm. So there's no real reason you shouldn't use them as a resource. Have them let them teach you. Yeah. Tell me, tell me one nerd that would not jump at the opportunity to info dump about their favorite IP for three hours. Yeah. And I I will say this to the players, be kind. Yeah. When you step into, if you come into a game late in a game and it's an IP that you love or something like that, and there's something different going on, listen for a while and then ask questions later. Don't just stop a game midway to be like, well, that's not how Mandalorians work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because th- that stops gameplay, and it it may not even matter. Mm-hmm. You don't you're you're not certain what's going on there, but to come back around and be like, "Hey, um, were you aware of this? Like, it's something that like dug at me a little bit in the game." Yeah. Are you aware that you can't just put Beskar armor on people because it's cool armor? Like, you understand it means something, right? And it comes tied with a faction and a lot of baggage? Yeah. Oh, no, I wasn't aware. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Your Imperial troops shouldn't have Beskar armor. Actually, they have it for a good reason. Oh. oh. I was not aware of that. Please continue. Please continue. Okay. <laughs> you know. Exactly. And, and now, it makes a, now it makes a difference later. You're like, oh, that's a smoking gun that nobody else here at the table knows about. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I was unaware. All right, and now we've got the last the last problem, uh, kind of the one you were describing with the uh, uh, with the the uh, expanse analogy. But I'm going to I'm going to call this the Tron problem because we've brought this up a couple times before on the show. Oh yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, and this is IP is based on 
ancillary knowledge. It's based on a, on, on a separate set of knowledge skills, mm-hmm. which the players have more of. I would say this would go for Tron just as much as it would go for Ark. For dinosaurs? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you had an actual paleontologist sitting at your, at your table... I have friends who played with dinosaurs their entire life. I can't name dinosaurs properly. I would screw things up horrifically in those games. I am terrified. You can't name them properly? Like you can't you can't look at a at a at a T Rex and say that one's called Princess Monster Truck? No, I'm talking more like along the lines of I look at something and I'll be like, Is that a philomia? You mean a phyomena? And I'm like, oh god, I just <laughs> That's I'm... just that's just because you're dyslexic, man. It's fine. None of us can pronounce them correctly but either. The other thing is, I'd is look like, these things up. I would screw up creature to creature and its abilities and its size and things like that without even thinking about it Fair or, enough. or whether it's herbivore or predator. Yeah, sure. You know, Fair enough. but, and, but that's the thing is, is that even, even though it's arc, mm-hmm. right. And it has an IP, it is based upon a, 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 a an ancillary bit of data yeah. that is public yeah. and prior, prior to the IP. Sure, sure, sure. <coughs> Uh, so, so the reason I'm, ta- I'm calling this the Tron problem is because I have bounced around the idea of running a game set in the Tron universe. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd say, I'd say Tron universe, just using Tron as the analogy, the the analogy for it. You know, the the players would play programs in a system with users telling them to execute some sort of a command, i.e., giving them a quest. Right, and then they need to work within this this computer system to do this thing using the computer as a metaphor for how we interact with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not about the IP. Like, you can really do anything within that. Um, there was a really great video game called Tron 2.0 that really stretched this one to its limits, and it did some amazing things with the computer metaphor. Right. The problem is, is that you and Chris and Sean are all computer guys. We are. In various ways. So any game that I set in a computer system, Mm -hmm. it's going to be very difficult for me to run with you guys because I'm going to be like, okay, there's a firewall here in front of you. It is a large energy barrier. And you're going to be like... That's not how firewalls work. My character reconfigs his autoexec.bat file and opens up a TCP IP port, exploiting a bug found in the model CM102B Linksys routers, and pings the kernel. And you're, I'm going to be like, okay. Does I understood maybe three of those words separately. <laughs> I love and hate that entire quote that you just said. Yes. <laughs> I love and hate it all at the same time. Yes, I know. <laughs> because it it proves kind of the point, and that is, is that in a game, a fied version of whatever world it is, you're setting the mechanics and the visibility. Yeah, yeah. So to say that it is that it is an energy field, it's an energy field mm-hmm. because that's how it works in your gamified version of it. Yes, yes. You know, no differently that if than if I made the decision that you know uh, Diplodocus has. Poison talons. It's pronounced Diplodocus. Thank you. It's di- <laughs> this is a Diplodocus. Have a nice day. And it has poison, you know, uh, claws. You yeah. know, and and that's the thing. That is that is the crunch point of of understanding that if you have players who have ancillary knowledge, they need to understand that it is your vision of the world. It is your setting that you're putting it within. And it's not reality. Mm-hmm. 
You know, no different than if we're talking about firearms in in existing titles. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of my one of my earliest memories was talking with my cousin about LARPing. And the reason why their LARP even started was they were playing D&D and they were asking the question, how many times could you swing a sword in seven seconds or 15 seconds based upon what D&D's rules were for fighting? Mm -hmm. What level fighter would they be? And so they got a bunch of basically broom handles Mm -hmm. and crap and went out in the backyard and beat the crap out of each other at speed and realized that they were all about fifth level characters. (laughs) Fifth level fighters. Uh, they were crappy fifth level fighters, but they were fifth level fighters. Don't, don't, don't make me, don't make me go on the rant about how attacks per round is not a literal interpretation of how many times you can swing a sword, but rather how many openings you can identify and exploit in your enemies. Well, that's uh, kind uh, of what defenses. they learned. Yeah. And then as they grew up in LARP and eventually the SCA, they came to terms with the truth of it. Mm-hmm. And that is, is that there is no direct translation. Yeah. It You can't. You cannot gamify to a mechanical sense uh, on in a conversation with paper and dice a true reality. Mm-hmm. The verisimilitude is as close as you can possibly get to it. And in that, it just feels like it needs to, mm-hmm. to, to make the story move forward. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, one of the hardest things to accept when you are dealing with the situation where people have knowledge of the topic, of the design and mechanics of the world, in a reality sense. Mm-hmm. So that they can understand this is how the game works within this design, within this reality that yeah. is being presented to them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So. All right, you want to? We have we have gone super long already. Do we have we have some great questions though? Do you want to get to them? We do. I'm sorry. I was I, I'm just like staring over at our stream on uh, on Mixlr, and I thought I saw a, a, a pop up happen. I was like, it was. I think it just refreshed for a second because uh, oh, okay. we're at we're at an hour and forty two on the recording. Oh jeez. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, it's an hour and a half, which is kind of where I thought it was at. So. All right, we do have some excellent questions. I would love to get through them. All so. right, so C Data asks, uh, "Would you? Uh, how would you go about getting players interested when you are the one who is most knowledgeable about a specific IP and want some folks to get into it with you? Should you wait until you find a group of players with perfectly overlapping interests?" Okay, so if you love an IP, if you truly love an IP, let it go. Wait, no. <laughs> Understand that your energy will transfer, but you will never find uh, somebody with a perfect overlap. Yeah. The best thing yeah. you can probably run into is a situation where you've got at least one other person who really wants to play. And that is your first follower. Okay. And that's a known mechanic on how to get people motivated into anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you find one of your friends who is as interested as you are in getting into that thing, somebody else they will help sell it with you yeah first follower i think is the nice way of saying it i'd have called him a ringer you know that's that's the person at the carnival you get to uh you get to stand around and play your your rigged games and go look how much fun i'm having this is great look at this cupid doll i just won yeah and then other people go oh wow i want to do that too right exactly exactly 
but but either way, it, their their enthusiasm becomes infectious. Yeah, but I would say uh, don't wait until you have a perfect overlap. You'll yeah. never get that. Find people who are adjacent to the property as well. Like if someone is interested in um, the expanse, but you really want to run like a Star Trek game, mm-hmm. like you in the Star Trek universe, there's a there's a little overlap there. There's I would some say, overlap there. yeah. You know, see what they like about it. Sure. See what they might be interested in, and then maybe, find. Yeah, maybe you can find maybe you can find the the, the middle of that Venn diagram mm-hmm. and put that into your story. You know? Yeah, but you're probably going to find somebody else who likes Star Trek. Sure. And again, that's uh, helps pull that kind of stuff together. Absolutely. Uh, the the other alternate answer to this is that you could just um, bring it up to your friends and say, "Hey, I want to run this game. I'm super enthusiastic about it. Do that about once a month or so, because you don't want to pester them, and then never run it." Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, so. All right. Kulki <laughs> asks, uh, "Do games set in fully realized IPs require alternative social contracts for play?" Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. That's it. Just yes. The answer is yes. Absolutely. You you really need to agree on a, basically how how representative of the IP you are scope, running your mechanically, scope mechanically. Yes. What what is going to be accepted and what's not? Anytime you have an existing IP, you are dragging in with it all, everybody's experience with the IP and any expectations they have formed around that. Um, and anytime you have preconceived expectations, you have the chances that you are not going to meet those expectations, and that's going to cause hurt feelings at your table. Yep, yep, that's a that's a straight way to put it. Uh, what mechanics negotiate? Uh, what mechanical negotiative means are there for accommodating different levels of IP knowledge at different phases of play? Meaning pitching the premise, the character creation, gameplay, and endings, scope is probably one of the first things I would say. Yeah, is yeah one establish of the, your scope early on. That's usually within the pitch and the premise. You kind of want to have the scope because that helps people understand what they can do for character creation, what's in play and what's out. I think that's true for pretty much even non-IP properties, you know, even game systems where that may have a lot of addendums, D&D being one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to get that scope down so that players are comfortable and can ask the question of like, hey, I know we're playing in Star Wars. Could I play as a Mandalorian? No, I, I, I'm not involving the Mandalorians in this game. Yeah, yeah. You know? Com- comes with too much baggage. We can make you a bounty hunter, but that's the best I can do. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, likewise, as you start getting into gameplay, that's really the mechanics. Mm-hmm. What mechanics are going to be utilized and what won't. Like in my Mandalorian game, there were no Jedis. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have force anything being involved. Yeah. Other than the physical force dice, which are part of general, man, you know, general stuff. But, sure, sure, sure. You know, uh, and the tokens therein. Um, the force is like a duct tape. Is like duct tape, though. You know. Yeah. It's got a light side and a dark side, and it binds the universe together. Correct. One hundred percent, and can be torn right down the middle. Yeah. Um. So th- th- that's what I'm going to say in regards to that is, is that really all of the things that apply to any normal game help more so in these situations. Yes. Yes. So. Absolutely. Um, All right, so games using IPs versus games as part of franchising. What is the difference? Oof. So, as as I'm understanding this question, because there there was some elaboration that that that, that is also uh, included with the question here. Um, like uh, for for instance, um, franchising itself also affects what we think the IP actually is. Aliens and its derivatives created a lot of mainstays for the franchise that Alien never established. Mm-hmm. Gaming using expansive IPs needs openness over what aspects of the IPs are focused on. Um, so I, I think what we're talking about here is like when we shifted from Alien 
to Aliens, Mm -hmm. the movie, we shifted from a survival horror story Mm -hmm. to a action horror Mm -hmm. with colonial marines Mm -hmm. and smart guns and turrets and Mm -hmm. flamethrowers. And then from there progressed to an even different story. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's, it's... Introducing different concepts in different ways to to tell stories about these creatures. Um, it's all still in the horror genre, but, you know, much different things. And so I think, you know, games using IPs, let's say using an IP versus games as part of franchising. I... I think a game using an IP to me is is kind of a blank canvas. Um, I, I I I'm I'm not really sure where to go with this with this, so, with this question so, all that much. So like, here's here's what I'm going to say to this: using the IP in this sense is like it's like I said with Firefly, we're like we're going to tell a space western, and what's the trappings around it? It's Firefly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not. My story isn't about some brown coats who stole a vessel and are now running from the coalition, you know, and picking up an engineer and some other people along the way. Mm-hmm. That's a Firefly franchise that I just did. Yeah. Right. I'm literally grabbing all of the trappings that are necessary to recognize Firefly mm-hmm. versus this is just a space western that's on the fringe of space with a strong coalition government that is oppressing, but it's at a distance. Right. Like, they're coming for their taxes, and that's about it. And you're never really going to have one player go, oh, so it's kind of like Firefly, and you go, yes. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So I think that's really what we're talking about there, is that if you want Star Wars, the franchise, yeah, there's trappings that you've got to include to sell that. Right. Right, right. to to include that, you know. You've got to have Jedi. You've got to have lightsabers, you know. Maybe the Jedi Council is involved. Maybe just the Force is being at work, you know, within it. You know, maybe there's rebels. Maybe there's, you know, mm-hmm. there's the Empire. You know, maybe there's Sith. Maybe there's Jedi. But there has to be some trappings that, that include the franchise namesakes within it versus it just being the the generality of that is Star Wars. So, I, f- I feel that's where we're going with that one, so. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Nevum. Because the next one was a, the the next one on our list was actually an answer to a question that I threw out in the Discord. Oh, okay. So, uh, so Nevim asks, as a game master, how how do you handle the situation where some of the players have deeper knowledge in the IP than I? Uh, it's okay. Yeah, that is perfectly okay. Set your scope, set your design, and if they start talking about things that are not within the scope and and what you're established, pause it. Just be like, I'm not including that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know it. You know, if if you want a clue, let's talk about it between games. Yeah, uh, I would say you know again, don't be afraid. Don't be also afraid to to tap them as a resource. You know, clearly they're enthusiastic. They want these things involved. Maybe it is something you can you can involve. You know, but don't be afraid to you know pause things, do your research, and then include them on your terms, not on theirs. Um, and then as a player, how do you handle a situation where I have or think I have the deepest knowledge over the IP? Be quiet and enjoy the game. <laughs> that's concise. I mean, that's that's the quickest advice I can give you: is be quiet and enjoy the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let it let it inform your level of enthusiasm. 
do not start trying to bully the storyteller. Do not or try to... don't mansplain. Yeah. Don't mansplain. Um, actually, this faction does not act like... Well, it does in my game. Stop it. You know? It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. It, matter. If it hurts your brain so much that they are they that they are not following your canonical mind of how things should be, that's their it's it's the story that's at the table. Yeah. If you're uncomfortable with it, break it up between games and be like, hey, um, was there a reason why you chose the cartel to act like this? Better yet, start the sentence something positive. I really love that you have included this storyline. Yeah. This is something I adore from the source material. Are you planning on bringing in the other part of that story? Right. What other part of that story? I'm so glad you asked. Let me yeah. lore dump on you for three hours. Yeah. Don't, but but again, don't, don't overwhelm them. Sure. Don't make them feel like they can't run the story now because you know the entire story. Right, right, right. I mean, if you sit, God, I knew someone who filed off the, or read about, I should say, who filed off the serial numbers of um, uh, of a story and didn't think the people at his table would would know it. Mm-hmm. And they clearly knew it. And they didn't care. They just enjoyed the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was fine. It, it ended up, at the end, they were just like, we knew how things were going to end. They're like, why? Because clearly it was a story. And they're like, oh, how did you guys know? Like, you read that? Because like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite movies. Exactly. That's why. It's yeah. that kind of a thing. <laughs> sometimes there's a joy to that. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. Just, just enjoy the ride. Uh, all right. And then uh, two Canadian. <laughs> I love two, that. Two Canadian. I love that. That I is love. the best name, objectively. Uh, in the modern world of Kickstarters and other crowdfunding-based platforms, it can be difficult to tell what uh, tell the wheat from the chaff when all you have to work with are, are previews and promises. Do you think existing IP-based tabletop RPGs are more or less at risk of being disappointments or cash grabs compared to those original IPs? I think 8 out of 10 times, they're probably going to be a disappointment. Yeah, and I think I think it's largely... I don't even think it's necessarily because you because they're going to mishandle the IP in any sort of significant way. I think it's going to be a disappointment more often than not because since it is an ex- existing IP, we already go into it with formulated opinions on it. Things yes. that are expo- important to us to see, to see represented in certain ways, to bring certain themes or feels to the to the to the forefront and whatnot. And if that game does not meet all of those expectations, it is already losing points. Whereas if it is a unique IP and it's handed to us, we go into that with no expectations and we can judge it on its merits. Yeah, I'm. I would say that it heavily depends on who's producing it and their history at producing IPs in general. Mm-hmm. You know, whether they've produced their own or where they've manipulated things. They've, you know, rubbed off the serial numbers or whatever. Yeah. Um, case in point, the Dark Souls game. Oh, yeah. Like, but... it just, it didn't hit any mark, whether it was a good roguelike uh, OSR or whether it was Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anybody, anybody who, knows, who knows Dark Souls as an IP knows that it is a story about entropy and about cycles and about whether or not it's it's best to end a cycle 
uh, or to restart the cycle and, and, you know, only to know that it is going to fail and cause more suffering again, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's largely a, you know, it's, it's almost like a hospice story in a way, you know, um, and it's about it, but it's, but it's also about finding your own light in, in that sort of a dark situation like that, um, and making good choices out of bad situations. Um, and the people who handled that game decided that it should be a fifth edition D and D supplement, uh, because Dark Souls, uh, yeah, that's like that's that game where you fight with really tough combat when where you die a lot, right? You mean Morkborg? Yeah. Okay. It's Merkborg with a resurrection co- uh, co- component. So it's a roguelike Merkborg. Yeah. But it isn't. But it isn't. It, it clearly isn't. Yeah. And nor is it a combat heavy, you know, trick game. Like like just the sword schools of Seventh Sea in a OSR. Mm-hmm. You know, where like action and action economy is everything, right? It isn't. It isn't any of those things. And because of that, it lost all of its energy mm-hmm. at what it was trying, at what it could have been. Yeah. And I, I feel bad about that. I, I look at those things and I'm like, eh. Yeah. You first yeah, strip away all of the IP. Is it a good mechanical game? Okay. Now strip away all the mechanics. Is it the IP? Yeah. Okay. If it's neither of those things, guys. <laughs> right. What are we doing here? You know. Yeah. So that that's kind of how I look at it. And unfortunately, it is hard to achieve those things. Sure. Without a lot of prior success and failure. Sure. Like, I think, and this is this is not me being biased because I, I don't know the inner core, but I do know production, that I think that Magpie Games had a good standing to do uh, Avatar. They've had successes in all kinds of ways and and failings in all kinds of ways. But it takes that to be able to grab a property like Avatar mm-hmm. and uh, The Last Airbender and make something successful. Because there's a lot of content there. But it doesn't matter how much content you have if you can't make a game that mechanically feels like it. Yeah, exactly. But, and it doesn't have to feel exactly like it. It has to feel like an aspect of its feelings. Yeah. And that's how you achieve it. Mm-hmm. You know, find what the base feeling of the story needs to be. Yeah. So any Kickstarter you buy into is just going to be a gamble on whether or not the company that's doing that is, is, understands that. But do your own research about those things. Sure, Look sure. at the company. Have they had other products? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the big thing is look at their track record. And the one for Dark Souls was a board game they had yeah. a board game track record yes, not they a did. ttrpg track record and they treated the ip like a board game well they treated it like a slight crossover board game which again still didn't feel right yeah um so yeah yeah i would still say if you're gonna play dark souls play a merc borg and uh add a really really terrifyingly bad resurrection mechanic into it and you'll be doing just fine. <laughs> oh, just 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 add the lore for resurrection or the 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 the, the sort of rebirth sort of mechanic from uh, Dark Souls 2 where you slowly go hollow and lose yourself. Mm-hmm. Just tell your players to role play forgetting a major character part, a major part of the, like their history uh, every single time they res. Or or this is this is the one that would always get me is uh, do the one the one mechanic that I was looking at today, which is the uh, roll a d tw- start with a d twenty, roll it. If you roll a one or a two, the next time 
you resurrect, you have to use a D12. If you roll a 1 or a 2, the next time you resurrect, you have to roll a D10. Mm-hmm. And that goes down to a D4. And then after the D4, it doesn't happen anymore. Yep. And every one of those steps is a loss of humanity. Role play it as you wish. Yep. Sounds great. <laughs> like, simple mechanic. Done. Sounds great. <laughs> we have tore through this. There was a lot to discuss. There was a lot of edges to this. I am happy that this came from one of our contributing members. Uh, It took us a while to get to this point, uh, but uh, we appreciate that. And I will say this. Join our Discord. We have people joining now on the regular, which I'm so happy for. Yeah, it's really um, nice to see new new faces and, and new conversations starting. Yeah, and and asks for things like a channel to talk about specific topics, you know, that we've gone over in the past, mm-hmm. which I think is great because oftentimes I forget that we have 233 shows. Yeah, well, out there, so some people are joining in and listening mm-hmm. to show 50, and I cringe ever so slightly. <laughs> You're like, that, oh god, we were babies. What does that sound like? Are we even thinking the same thing? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, But thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Please join our Discord and join in the discussions and, and help us make the show better. Every god, time. If, you, if you've made it this far in this nearly two-hour episode, thank you again for sitting and listening to us ramble for so long. So. If this is your second time through, we do not blame you. Uh, I, I, hope, I hope your commute slash bathroom break slash work day is going well. <laughs> agreed, agreed. All right, next week's topic. Next week's topic. So we we don't talk about combat a lot on this. We really on don't. this show. We are we are storyteller conclave, not not hack and slash conclave. Correct. Uh, and so we're gonna change that a little bit next week. Uh, you know, sometimes you do just want to just go slaughter goblins and be murder hobos. Uh, so how do you tell a combat heavy story in a narrative way? In a way that's that's satisfying for both sides yeah what what stories work what how do you move through heavy combat and regardless of system because some systems like D, it feels like it takes forever to get through a combat and gets longer and sluggier so how do you make that still feel like a narrative story mm-hmm. as you move through it so Alrighty, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And uh, once again, join us on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. Shoot us some questions. We'll answer them here on the air. You can find that link on our website as well as our, uh, as well, uh, sorry, our, on our Twitter as well as our website storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank uh, all of our Patreon members who support us every single month, uh, especially our named members, Knox in the Box, Subject, Sam, the Arcan Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Vedran, Hulavu, and Sean. We truly appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcaneanthems or on Instagram at arcaneanthems. Our intro music was Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on YouTube Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends who've sat at our tables over these years to give you these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys so much. Love you. Good Good night. night.